thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran. Hey, everybody. This week on the Fighter Pilot Podcast, we're talking Coast Guard aviation with me, Commander Dan Warren, Semper Paratus. Welcome to the Fighter Pilot Podcast, the internet radio show that explores the fascinating world of air combat, the aircraft, the weapon systems, and most importantly, the people. Now, here's your host, retired U.S. Navy fighter pilot, Vincent Aiello. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 69 of the Fighter Pilot Podcast. I am your host, Jello, and it's just me on the mic this week, but I'm far from alone as I have a fantastic team helping make this show possible. That includes, of course, our graphic designer, Yannick Krauss, who, among other things, comes up with our awesome episode artwork, and musician Jaime Lopez, whose song you just heard during the intro. In fact, that's the very first song Jaime ever composed for us back in the summer of 2018. And I thought it works well for our subject today, which we'll get into in just a few minutes after some brief announcements and a couple listener questions. I hope everybody's doing okay. 2020 is off to a roaring start. And we received a lot of positive feedback on our last episode about the Saab JAS-39 Gripen and our guest Duke. Two listeners in particular sent notes I want to share. The first is from Jean-Francois, an aircraft designer, and he emailed extensive aerodynamic information extolling the value of canards. So we featured that as our January exclusive article for our inner circle of show supporters. If you want to join them, head on over to patreon.com, search for the Fighter Pilot Podcast, and sign up for everything from a flight student to an air boss. And of course, the tier that you choose dictates the perks that you receive. But not only do you gain access to exclusive content like the benefits of canards, you also help financially support this show. We appreciate that very much. The second response to the Grippin episode is in the form of a phone call from Glenn. Let's take a listen. Hi Jello, it's Glenn here from New Zealand. First time caller, long time listener. I've been listening from the very start of your awesome podcast. A bit of feedback about the Saab Grippen. You were saying that the UK has one Saab Grippen. It's actually used by the Empire Test Pilot School as an aircraft that obviously the RAF don't and other Air Force Armed Forces in, news, in the UK use. So they've got a Grippen. So just because you wonder why you know, why they've only got one. I mean, I'm sure most of your listeners know what the Empire Test Pilot School is. They're one of the leading test pilot schools in the world. Anyway, keep up the great work. Glenn out. All right. Thanks for that, Glenn. All good points. And let's see. Our next announcement is many listeners recently have asked why they can no longer find the Fighter Pilot Podcast on Google Play. And that's because Google moved all their podcasts over to the aptly named Google Podcasts. So if that's how you consume your favorite show, be sure to look for us over on Google Podcasts now, not on Google Play. 
And finally, we generally don't make many public service announcements here on the show, but certainly life in the profession of arms is hazardous for more reasons than simply facing the enemy. And I received the following message on Facebook earlier this week, and I want to share it with you. The gentleman writes, I'm sorry to bother you. I know many combat vets like myself listen to your show. Would it be possible that you could take a moment on your show to broadcast the VA suicide hotline? I understand that most of us aren't aviation or officers, but each day we lose another sailor or Marine. Today, I lost my cousin. He served two tours in Iraq as a Marine. I served two tours in Iraq as a sailor. My father served three tours in Vietnam in the Army. He isn't the first to leave us due to feeling he was alone. Life after coming home is so much harder than most realize. I think it's because we feel like there is no purpose or direction anymore. Or maybe it's guilt for mistakes and lost time. I don't know. I know there are many silent individuals who hear you. I know hearing you has made me feel a small connection, even though we don't really have a lot in common, but our commitment and promise to brothers in arms. It has helped me to hear other vets share their feelings, to know I'm not alone. Sorry for rambling. I guess what I'm asking is to please mention the VA services available to vets and to remind those guys out there that they aren't alone. We all love them, and I'd rather talk to them than lose another. The Veterans Crisis Line is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 800-273-8255, by the way. And press 1. They can put a veteran in direct touch with the VA for help. I've used it and found treatment for depression, PTSD, and alcoholism, but I don't think enough people know this option for help is available and that they aren't alone. Sorry to bother you with all this. I just thought if I could try to get information out in the public in a lot of different places, maybe it would help someone else. Coming from someone such as yourself, I think it might help clear a small amount of stigma attached to asking for help. I know it's not really what your program is all about. Well, how could I obviously not share this? I mean, I think most of us are aware of the issues that a lot of veterans face and have throughout the history of warfare when they come back to their civilian lives. So I want to thank the gentleman who I won't name, who took the time to write this. Anxiety, depression, PTSD, alcoholism. Frankly, I consider myself lucky not to have dealt with any of those, but I understand that a lot of service members do. These are real threats to veterans. So if you are suffering or if you know someone who is, please have them call that number, 1-800-273-TALK, or that you can have them go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org, suicidepreventionlifeline.org, and they can find help there. Your involvement could help save a life. All right, let's shift gears and answer some listener questions. The first one is from David from Augusta, Georgia. David writes quite frequently. He says, I was watching the Top Gun Maverick previews and saw hands on throttle and stick with no gloves on. What is the policy in real life regarding gloves? Now, before I answer, I want to make sure all the listeners understand, because I see this messed up all the time in social media. It is not Top Gun 2. There's no such thing. It is Top Gun colon Maverick. So help me make that right. And I guess it won't really matter when the time comes. We'll enjoy it regardless. But that is technically what it's called. And we strive for technical accuracy here on this show. All right. So, David, the policy in the Navy, and I presume the Marine Corps, is that gloves are a part of the uniform for flight, except when you are afloat or carrier-based, i.e. over the water uh, during carrier operations. And the idea there is that if you were to eject and land in the water, 
There is an assessment that the gloves could hinder your ability to release your Coke fittings when you hit the water. We've talked about those fittings here before on the show. And so that in those environments, you are allowed to not have your gloves on. Now, that being said, there are no glove police roaming up and down the flight line when you're not on the ship. A lot of people wore them at the ship. Some people never wore them even ashore. And so it's really comes down to personal preference. But I have heard stories of people who ejected with no gloves on and the explosion of the ejection seat and a lot of the flame that engulfs the pilot or backseater when you do eject can burn any unexposed skin. So they recommend gloves and rolling your sleeves down when you're flying. But you don't always see that in Hollywood or even some of the videos on YouTube, including possibly some of my own. All right, the next is a phone call. I'm from Rexburg, Idaho, and I'm Cody Kimple. I was wondering about the X-15. I keep watching these things and hearing these things that it's a jet or an airplane. Can you clarify that? Thank you. All right, I listened to this several times, and I could not tell if Cody was saying the F-15, as in the Eagle, or the X-15, as the test plane. Either way, Cody, they are both airplanes, which are simply powered fixed-wing aircraft propelled forward by thrust from a jet engine or a propeller or a rocket engine. And the F-15 is a jet, but the X-15 experimental aircraft was rocket-powered. All right, our final question for this week is from John Young. He's a former Marine. He says, I know to be an ace, you have to have five or more confirmed kills. He puts the word confirmed in quotes. In the past, where flights were up close and personal, it was probably a lot easier for someone to actually see and confirm a kill. In this day and age of long-distance BVR engagements, how can you confirm a kill? Is simply having a bandit disappear from your radar screen enough? Now, this is a great question, John. I put it to our former E2 guest on the show, Niles, and I gave him what I thought was the answer, and he confirmed. And so, essentially, it comes down to what we see on our various scopes, both in the fighters as well as in the airborne warning, i.e. the E2C Hawkeye or E2D these days, or the E3 Sentry AWACS. And then there's a lot of different types of intelligence we can collect. And we haven't really gone into this too much on the show, but there's signals intelligence, SIGINT. There's communications intelligence, COMMENT. There's electronic emissions intelligence, ELINT. And all those are usually in play in a shooting match. And so if you see the target slow down, descend and eventually disappear. That is one indication, but there will otherwise be other indications of other platforms without going into too much detail that can confirm a kill. And sometimes even just what we know from intelligence on aircraft coming and going in different enemy airfields or what they hear, again, in communications can confirm it. So good question. But yes, the easiest thing, of course, is to see it. But even back in Korea, Vietnam, World War II, it wasn't enough for one pilot to see it. You needed either gun footage or another aircraft to confirm it. All right, well, that'll do it for listener questions this week. Why don't we get straight to the feature interview on U.S. Coast Guard Aviation with Coast Guard Commander Dan Warren. All right, today the Fighter Pilot Podcast is talking Coast Guard aviation. So, Dan, we're going to take a little diversion from what we normally do. But joining us in studio is Commander Dan Warren, United States Coast Guard. Dan, how's it going? It's going great. Good. Life, life is good. Excellent. Is do you good. have a call sign, by the way? You know, the Coast Guard isn't big on call signs. All right. But I will tell you, so I flew Falcon 20s. Oh. 
my first aircraft that I flew, uh-huh. and they uh, came up with the name Rain Man. <laughs> All right. Well, Dan <laughs> so if I have Warren any kind of call sign, you can Rain call me Rain Man. Man. All right. We'll come back to that at the end. <laughs> but Dan, tell us a little about yourself. Where are you from? Where'd you go to school? What have you done in the Coast Guard, and what are you doing now? All right. Uh, so I'm uh, from a small town in northern Michigan, Ross okay. Common. All right. I uh, had one traffic light back then. I think they got the second one after I moved out of town. <laughs> Went to the Coast Guard Academy. Graduated uh, in 1998, All right. which uh, my career has flown by so far, but uh, still loving it, still still going strong. Uh, after the uh, Coast Guard Academy, I uh, went uh, underway on an icebreaker on the Great Lakes for oh, two years. Okay. Learned shipboard life and how to be a junior officer Okay, and all the fun jobs that come along with that. And then finally saw the light and went to flight school. All right. Coast Guard folks go to flight school down in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, along with uh, Navy and some uh, Air Force folks uh, and Marines down there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, went to Corpus Christi to do advanced training in flight school. And my first air station was on uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Uh, went from there to Corpus Christi, Texas, where I started my aviation engineering career track. All right. Went to graduate school in Colorado. Went to uh, headquarters in D.C. to do a uh, grad school payback <laughs> for information technology. Then uh, Mobile, Alabama. I was the engineering officer at the Coast Guard's Aviation Training Center there okay. for four years and then uh, moved here to San Diego just over a year ago where I get to be the logistics officer, the XO of the air station, and the CO of military personnel. <laughs> so I have plenty of you hats. You have to several wear. hats. Okay. Several. And so was it Cape Cod where you were flying the Falcon 20? Affirmative. So right. I got to fly the Falcon 20 at Cape Cod for almost five years uh-huh. doing uh, fisheries up north. Got to deploy down to uh, Brinken. Puerto Rico okay. uh, for about three weeks doing law enforcement uh, patrols down there. Uh-huh. And then I also flew the Falcon 20 in Corpus Christi. Okay. So I and, got about eight years of flying the Falcon 20. All right. But now you're at a Coast Guard station that has helicopters. Are you doing any flying? I am. I get to fly the uh, big iron. Uh, so the yeah. uh, H60, MH60T. <laughs> all right. And I'm loving every minute of it. Excellent. Uh, when a fixed wing guy gets to hover, you just have a big smile on your face. So <laughs> I've never done that. So I don't it's know. It's fun. But, all right, Dan. Well, we're going to dive into all of this. Sure. So I'm going to put on a little front. See, I'm going to pretend that I don't know anything about Coast Guard (laughs) so that I can get the best information for my audience. The truth is, I don't know that much about the Coast Guard. Here's (laughs) what I know. You guys drive orange and white vessels and airplanes. You have the same ranks as the Navy, and you train with us, as you already identified. You have some weapons on ships. We do. And you have snipers and helicopters, which is cool. But you're not really, like, military. So let's start at the beginning. How is the Coast Guard, and you fall under Department of Homeland Security, correct? Correct, we do. How is the Coast Guard different from the military, just in, like, big, broad terms? Well, I'll tell you, the Coast Guard is the fifth armed service, we like to say. All right. How is it different than the military? That's a great well, question. Well, I mean, you can form this into what you want. I mean, yeah. you, you are different, but you're the fifth branch. So and, what, what I would say that makes us different than the other military services are we have— a peacetime mission and peacetime role that the other services may not necessarily have. Mm-hmm. Search and rescue, law enforcement, ice-breaking operations, keeping the uh, navigational aids, buoys, and lighthouse operating. A lot of peacetime missions, and then right. obviously when it comes to uh, wartime missions, we, we help out the other services as best we can with what we have. And there are provisions, I understand, for if really things go awry, you guys can, what, paint your vessels and aircraft and and come fall under military command? we could so we we could slide under the navy essentially okay, is right. in, in times of war if, if we had to 
Um, and that could, like you just said, cover repainting our assets, right. so okay. repaint our boats and aircraft if we had to. I don't know if we've ever done it in recent days, but that, that, yeah. that's always an option. Okay. Well, I do want to just push back on one thing you said. Certainly the Navy and the Air Force do search and rescue. No doubt about that. Yes. But I think to your point, it's more of a civil search and rescue, right? Yes, so exactly. You've got the stations on all the coasts and even, gosh, I've seen Coast Guard assets up at Lake Tahoe. So you guys have yes. inland and Station in water vacation. stuff. And yeah, <laughs> I imagine that goes fairly senior. But you have the ability, you and your Coast Guardsmen, like law enforcement, which the Navy and the military, I don't think can, unless no. there's certain, like when the LA riots happened back in the early right. 90s, I was at UCLA at the time. And I think there was like an authority given to the Marines. So the Marines showed up in LA yeah. and was doing law enforcement. But you guys do that on a daily basis. And is that Title 10 stuff or some other? I should have known so this, but... To be exact, I, I'm not sure because okay. <laughs> uh, I didn't do a whole a lot of LE in my career, All right. but that is the point. So the Coast Guard is not under the DOD mm-hmm. because we are a law enforcement entity. We will actually send Coast Guard law enforcement boarding teams right. on DOD vessels ah. in order for that vessel to be a law enforcement asset. Okay, so when Navy seas. deploys down south, let's say, and does counter drug or whatever yes. we're calling it these days. there are typically Coast Guard boarding teams okay. uh, on board that boat, and we have a unit right here in okay. San Diego that does that. Now, that being said, the Coast Guard will deploy like the Navy. Hasn't the Coast Guard even gone to the Persian Gulf or Arabian Gulf? I don't know. Yes. So the ships, they do Mm -hmm. deploy all over the world, Arctic, Antarctic, Persian Gulf, everywhere. The aviation piece, not so much. Okay. Unless they're riding on the back of one of those ships, Mm -hmm. um, they'll go with it. Back during Desert Storm, we did deploy some uh, Falcon 20s over to Iraq because we had, they were HU-25 Bravo models that had oil tracking devices on them hmm. so we could track oil spills. So environmental types. Exactly. Okay. And well, we don't have those aircraft in service anymore, but we didn't do that for a very lengthy period of time. Okay. Now, interestingly, Rain Man, I will tell you, I did get a chance to go to your website briefly before coming over here. And you know what I found when I Googled Coast Guard? Of course, it comes up right away, but it was coastguard.mil. Are you aware of that? <laughs> yes, I am aware of that. So we do play in the dot mill okay. uh, realm. Is that just a convenience? Our, uh, <laughs> it's a convenience. And so we're able to use all of the, the DOD resources okay. to do our email, internet, and gotcha. ev- everything. So, right. of course, we have to play along with sure. the DOD. For so everything. someone will respond and say, Jello, how do you not know this? There's, again, there's the Title 10 or different things I'm supposed to know. But long story short, we walk alike quack alike, but there's just slightly different pots of money. We speak to different parents, if you will. But in a lot of ways, we do the same things, Navy and Coast Guard. Exactly. Yes, I would say that. All right. That being said, now we've laid the foundation. The aviation side of things is, I presume, an extension of what the Coast Guard is doing. So like you said, search and rescue, uh, environmental stuff. In a moment, we'll get into the aircraft, but what are some of the missions for Coast Guard Aviation? So Coast Guard Aviation plays a role in almost all Coast Guard missions, search and rescue being the big one, law enforcement, um, aids to navigation will help erect towers, help do maintenance on lighthouses, okay. pick up buoys if we have to. We also do uh, ice patrols um, on the Great Lakes and in the Arctic and Antarctic to help keep ships flowing in the wintertime. Coast Guard Aviation really has a role in almost all Coast Guard missions. Um, all right. And so I know the terminology is what? Cutters and different... I mean, I don't know what the largest ship is you have, but do you have ships that will deploy rotary wing assets with them? Yes, we do. Okay. So 
Just for your information, a cutter is any Coast Guard boat 65 feet or longer. Okay. So, yes, uh, our newest Coast Guard cutters, which is the National Security Cutter, mm -hmm. we do put uh, helicopters on the back of those. And are those basically equivalent to, say, an Arleigh Burke class destroyer or a little smaller? Uh, I had to put you on the spot. Sorry. Putting me on the spot. But you're uh, man. Uh, you're how, supposed long, to... <laughs> how long they are. I don't know how long they are. Right. So, the old class that it replaced was a 378. Okay. So I could tell you that was 378 feet long. Ah, all right. The NSCs, I don't remember how long they are. Okay. But uh, they are our biggest ship and um, very, Couple, very capable. All right. Maybe what, 200 folks, roughly, probably not quite that many. And But you can go out for like weeks, right? And, oh, they can go out yeah. for a very long time. Yeah. yeah. And they yes. have a relatively large gun. I don't know what else to call it, but they have some pretty big weapons, right? I mean, they do. They have uh, weapons. To shoot at folks, and they also have, I believe, you know, the defense weapons sure. of themselves. The, I sure. think they sea whiz or whatever case they, they call yeah. them. Mm -hmm. In case they find themselves in harm's way. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the aircraft in the Coast Guard arsenal. We've talked about the... The one that I flew? Yeah. So it's the HU-25 Guardian is the official name okay. for it. Uh, but everybody liked calling it the Falcon, Falcon. because yeah, it yeah. was a Falcon 20. So this is an audio show, but someone who goes down to their local airport might see uh, a fancy businessman get in a private jet. Does it look something like so that? So it looks exactly that's what it is. Okay. It was a corporate jet that the Coast Guard purchased to patrol and get places fast. All right. You could drop things out of the bottom of it. So right. we cut a big oh. square in the bottom and mm -hmm. we could drop dewatering pumps. We could drop radios. We could drop anything that'll fit into a canister out the bottom of it to uh, mariners in distress. Or, All right. So I'm guessing a couple pilots up front. Who's in the back of something like that? So a normal crew for that aircraft was two pilots up front. All right. We would have uh, three crew members in the back. One we called our drop master, who was our expert in dropping things out of the bottom. Okay. We'd have a basic air crew who sat on the other side and looked out the window and uh, you know, assisted. Mm -hmm. And then in the back, we had what we called our sensor system operator okay. who would, you know, run the radios and cameras and uh, radars. Then for other fixed wing, I know you have C-130s and then some other aircraft that looks like a C-130, but with only half the wings. Uh, so bigger fixed wings as well. Yeah. So we've had C-130s for a long, long time. Right. We've had the H models, to be exact. Okay. And uh, we are acquiring C-130J models, which is the newest one that all the services are With flying With all the props now. and extra blades? Correct. So we're getting more of those and retiring our H model C-130s. Okay. And what do we use those for? Those are our long-range assets. Okay. Uh, so we're using those out of, like, Kodiak, Alaska and Hawaii mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Elizabeth City, North Carolina. They're doing long-range cases, law enforcement. And hauling cargo. So you have your own logistics capability in the Coast Guard? We do. With the C-130? Yes, and okay. that comes in real handy during hurricane season because okay. they're moving people and parts right. and supplies for us to respond to uh, hurricanes. Now, speaking of that, are you involved with any of the, like there are, I think, WC-130s out there. Are you doing any of the weather side of it or more, hey, there's people that are going to be affected by this? We don't really delve into the weather side of it. We leave that to the those guys down no on the Gulf either. Coast and... Uh, over at Keesler Air Force Base, the Hurricane Hunters, I think they call them. Yeah. We, right. we leave that to the Hurricane Hunters. <laughs> and then help me out here. I Actually, it's bad I don't recall, but I put a picture of it on our Instagram page recently. But there's an airplane out there. It looks like a C-130, but it's only got one engine on each side. you remember that? Yeah. One? So we have two versions of that. Okay. Uh, the initial version that we purchased is a CASA 235. We call right. it the C-144 Ocean Sentry. And I got to fly that airplane while All I was right. in uh, Mobile for four years. All right. Uh, very capable airplane, replaced the Falcon, 
So if you can imagine a driving a uh, Corvette versus driving a, a minibus, that would be <laughs> like flying the two. Okay. But the C-144, very capable airplane. Yeah. It just, uh, I would say, doesn't get you where you need to get fast. Ah. But once you get on scene, you can load her on scene. Sure. More capable electronics, avionics, and you even have the option of cargo, way more cargo than the Falcon okay. could carry. Now, we talked about the crew on the Falcon. I presume same thing for the C-130 and the other aircraft you just described couple of crew up front, maybe even a third navigator, something along those lines, and then handful of folks in the back, right? Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't know the C-130 world that well, but okay. the the H model did carry, I think I want to, they say they call it a flight engineer. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the J model carries one of them. Then in the back, you still have your drop masters, your sensor system operators, okay. and your basic air crew. C-130s carry a little bit more, but a C-144, that's pretty much the compliment. You got two right. pilots in the front and four crew in the back who do what they need to do in the back. Gotcha. And then what else do you have for fixed wing? And then the other twin engine turboprop aircraft we have are C-27s. Okay. We acquired, how many of those do we have? We have uh, just about 10 of those, and we acquired those from the Air Force. Right. Because they were trying to get rid of them. Yeah. They actually had a mothballed down in uh, Arizona. Oh. So we actually stopped the acquisition of the C-144 and acquired these through a trade. So we're flying those. And the only other fixed wing assets we have are uh, Gulf Streams out of uh, Air Station Washington that are for VIPs. Sure. Okay. And the Navy and Marine Corps and everyone else has a yes. handful of those. So, Dan, I want to go off track for a second because you said something that made me wonder something. And if I don't write it down, I'll probably forget. You know, in the military, we're always scraping for dollars. You talked about just now getting those aircraft out of the desert. How's the Coast Guard? Are you guys pretty well funded or is it the same thing? You know, ah, Always a challenge. I mean, yeah. we're a small service. We do what we can do mm-hmm. with uh, the money we get, and we do you know sure. do, the, do the best job we can. Speaking of that, I don't know if you're prepared to answer this. I didn't even think to ask, but I want to say the Navy's got, what, 285,000 people or something like that. How big is the Coast Guard? Is it fairly small or uh, pretty big? I don't have the numbers, but right. back in the day, they and it may still be the case today, the New York City Police and Fire Department is bigger than the Coast Guard. <laughs> Wow. I think that's still the case, but I'd All have right. to look up the numbers. To well, we can always add it in the uh, banter after the interview. <laughs> so. All right, fair enough. How about rotary wing aircraft? A lot of helicopters? Sure. So we have uh, two versions of helicopters. We have the uh, Mighty H-60, as uh, people call it, the Big Iron. Right. And then we also have the uh, MH-65. To be honest with you, the 65 at the moment, it's a, a Dolphin helicopter. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the workhorse of the fleet just because we have the most of them. Um, those are the ones that deploy uh, aboard ship most often, Okay, where the H-60s are mostly land-based. Okay, We do put our H-60s in the more harsher environments like Alaska, Cape Cod, uh, Oregon, and then also down here in San Diego, which isn't necessarily a harsh environment, <laughs> but we <laughs> do get called off you know, 250, sure. 300 miles offshore that uh, the smaller aircraft can't get gotcha. to. Gotcha. So we have had an episode on the... H-60, as we called it. In this case, it's the Jayhawk, not the Seahawk or the Blackhawk. And I think the listener is familiar with that. The MH-65, however, as I picture it in my mind, it has what, like a ducted rotor on the back? Fenestron. Is that what it's called? The, okay, the Fenestron so in the back, yeah. It looks fairly similar. I mean, sorry to even say this. I mean, it kind of looks like an Airwolf type of thing, if anyone remembers <laughs> that show. <laughs> right. But uh, obviously, orange and white. Although you guys do have a 60 here that's yellow. Yes, uh, we do. So the 65 seems a little smaller. It is. It's much right. smaller, much smaller gas tank, so it can't fly nearly as far okay. offshore. They do have them uh, down in New Orleans. And if you talk to those folks, they do, they need to do a lot of rig hopping mm-hmm. to get where they need to go uh, when they okay. get offshore to get gas. But like I said, the Coast Guard has the most of those. We have hmm. about 100 of those in our inventory. 
Uh, we're MH60s. We have about 45. Oh, wow. The MH-60 is the Dolphin, we call it. Right. It's a French-built aircraft, and everything spins the opposite way of the MH-60, which is a U.S.-built <laughs> aircraft. For folks who do learn both aircraft, they need to you know, remember which pedal to oh, push in when they, when they lift off. Yeah. Now, with the H-60, I presume you go through Navy training, and we'll get to some training stuff in a minute. But with the 65, do you have your own, or do you go to France, or what do you do? Do you know? So the Coast Guard has their own training. So oh, okay. whatever aircraft you fly in the Coast Guard, you all go through... Navy flight school. To get your wings, right? To get your wings. Uh So helicopter pilots will go to Pensacola and then Milton, Florida. Right. And then uh, fixed wing pilots will go to Pensacola, Milton, and then go move on to Corpus Christi. Okay. Do the advanced fixed wing flying down there. Once that's done, you you then go to uh, Aviation Training Center in Mobile, Alabama, which is the Coast Guard's training center. And that's where you get the training on how to fly the Coast Guard aircraft. Oh, okay. So even a 60 is trained in Mobile? So a 60 is trained okay. in Mobile. A 65 is trained in Mobile. Gotcha. A 144 is trained in Mobile. The only folks who aren't trained in Mobile are 130 folks. Okay. And uh, we kind of piecemeal their training. The H model folks actually go over to Clearwater and they train through a commercial company there. In Florida? In Tampa area. Yep. The J models... They kind of piecemeal it a little bit with the Air Force, a little bit commercial, and then go to um, Elizabeth City where they fly a Coast Guard J model for the okay. first time. All right. So any other rotary wing? Uh, no, that's right. it. How about UAVs? Are you guys involved in that at all? Uh, we're dabbling in the UAVs. Okay. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of firsthand <laughs> knowledge of the program at the moment. Okay. UAVs have been talked about forever in the Coast Guard and I think they'd be a great asset, you know. For, as long as it's the Coast Guard pulling for it, not someone forcing it on you. I, I have this suspicion that there could be pressure in, you know, Coast Guard headquarters with, hey, how come you guys don't use it? Well, it's like, well, what's the point? I mean, we'll use them if it makes the most sense. But sometimes right. I, I know the Navy was for a little while there. Hey, you're so far behind the Air Force. Well, okay. Should we yeah. start using them just because we're behind or sure. because it makes sense? And so I hope that the Coast Guard will bring them on board when it makes sense to. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't have a whole lot of firsthand knowledge of the program. (laughs) Okay. Well, you're not dabbling in that in San Diego, I presume. Not me, no. Okay. Fair enough. If you've always dreamt of a career in aviation while keeping your feet on the ground, then Air Corps Aviation is the place for you. Since 2008, Air Corps Aviation has been at the forefront of modernizing the airworthiness of legacy aircraft dating back to World War II. Their dedicated team specializes in numerous aerospace disciplines, including manufacturing, fabrication, restoration, and support, all while incorporating state-of-the-art technology. In 2024, Air Corps Aviation is expanding its team with job openings in engineering and computer-aided design, quality, fabrication, and restoration. Live where others vacation in northern Minnesota while enjoying paid time off, health insurance and savings accounts, retirement plans, life insurance, and best of all, most Fridays off. If you're ready to be a part of a team fulfilling dreams through the preservation of historical aircraft, visit aircoreaviation.com slash careers and take your first step towards an exciting career in aviation. That's aircoreaviation.com slash careers. Visit today. Now, we already talked about basing. I mean, again, you guys are all up and down the coast. You're inland. I mean, are you ever anywhere? Like, people laugh that the Navy has a base in Fallon, Nevada, as far from the ocean as you can get. Right. Do you guys have facilities inland away from water? Or if you join the Coast Guard, can you be pretty well assumed you'll at least be near a lake, if not an ocean? Right. Well, so from an uh, aviation aspect, we've got 25 operational air stations. All right. All of them are near the water, with the exception of one, is in Sacramento. We have fixed wing there. That's actually the only fixed wing uh, air station on the West Coast. Hmm. 
So if a helicopter out of San Diego needs to go offshore and needs a fixed wing coverage, they're coming from Sacramento. Why do you suppose that is? Why only in Sacramento? Well, why? So a base in Sacramento seems illogical. Why not put it in Vandenberg, let's say? That's a good question that I I don't have a great answer to. Um, I think it's been there forever. Right. Uh, We had C-130s there to begin with. They've transitioned them all over to the C-27s. Okay. But it's there. And now I think the Coast Guard is exploring, trying to shift that around and get it closer to the coast somewhere. But but, uh, at this time, that's the only West Coast um, Hmm. fixed wing uh, air station. Now, we did have Falcons on the West Coast years back, back in the 80s. There actually were Falcons in um, San Diego. Hmm. And there were Falcons up in uh, Astoria, Oregon. But um, I don't think... uh, we had the use for them, uh-huh. so they pulled them out. Is that why when I drive to the airport, which I do quite frequently because of being an airline guy, there's two big gates, and you guys are <laughs> right next to the airport, and it seemed to me like someone could open those and an airplane could taxi That's by. correct. Yeah? So <laughs> Falcons taxied across Harbor Drive. No kidding. Back in the day. <laughs> uh, I couldn't imagine trying to do that today because that road's so busy. Oh, but um, Our gate does open up. I know on the other side, they're pretty permanently closed, but I think if yeah. we ever had to, if we could to. open it up to tow something through, but right. it, it would take quite an operation to get okay. those both open. So when your helicopters are lifting or uh, lowering whatever, um, are they talking to the Lindbergh Tower? We are. So anytime okay. we lift up off the ramp, we have to talk to Lindbergh Tower. Sure. Because you're right um, there next to the Right. Because we're, we're in their airspace. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's congested airspace anyway. You got North yes. Island, what, a half a mile away? Yes. You got Miramar a couple of six miles up. Yes. So, so very, right. very congested airspace yeah. down here. A all lot right. of course rules. Great. Uh, so let's see, other basing. You guys are all the way up to Alaska. Are there any Coast Guard bases out of America? There are Coast Guard bases out of the continental United States, huh. but I mean, in Hawaii, Alaska, okay, but not Puerto like- Rico. Not like we have bases in Japan for the Navy and Saudi no, Arabia and different no, things? No, so not aviation. Okay. Now, we do have Coast Guard offices overseas okay. that are doing more uh, of the Coast Guard's prevention mm. uh, mission where they're, you know, inspecting container ships right. and working with cruise ships and doing that. Okay. But no aviation really overseas. Okay. Uh, let's see. Next on my list here was the training. I think we covered that pretty well. How about deployments? I mean, when we think of a deployment in the Navy, we will go out on a carrier, in my experience, for six months at a time. And you're not out to see the whole time. You pull into ports in different places, which can be a lot of fun. What kind of deployments? We've already talked a little bit about going over to the Gulf, particularly during Desert Storm. But let's say you're going to do, uh, let's pick some different things. But um, I know we do counter drug down south. We do other things. What are some examples of deployments? And we can talk in broad strokes for the Coast Guard in general, but really kind of think in aviation, really. Sure. So um, I'd say there's kind of two Coast Guard deployments. you got the shipboard deployments Mm -hmm. of folks going out on ships and spending 30, 60 days doing counter-drug missions, uh, both in the Gulf and the Caribbean and uh, on the Southern Pacific. But then you also have the land-based deployments where we've got, you know, maybe fixed-wing aircraft going down to, you know, Central America Mm -hmm. and flying out of there or the Caribbean and flying out of there. We even consider deployments sending fixed-wing assets down to Puerto Rico because even though we do have an air station in Puerto Rico, it's only helicopters. Mm -hmm. So we'll send fixed-wing aircraft down there to do, you know, longer patrols and spend the time down there. Okay. That would be a Coast Guard deploying. Okay. Which, so 60 days, is that like the limit of it? And uh, I mean, to be to, honest to with you, that doesn't know, sound too bad. The, but. the longest deployment I ever did was a land-based deployment, and it was two weeks. <laughs> All right. I grew up a fixed-wing guy. Yeah. I'm sure there's helicopter folks, uh, you know, have spent at least 60 days away. Sure. 
um, our uh, ice operations that go up to Arctic or Antarctic. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll take uh, helicopters on them every so often. And they'll be away for six months. Okay. But they're not on a mission. ship. They're land-based. and No, they'd be on a ship. They'd be on one of oh, our icebreakers. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that is like a Navy-style deployment. So that, that's a long right. time. Right. So I think that's probably the closest to Navy-style deploying. Okay. Yeah. So if you deploy, again, I'm sure there's plenty of smart listeners who are going to school me on this, but a drug runner that leaves a Central or South American country that is not in any of our territory or anything else, how do we have the authority to launch from someone else's turf and go bust these guys? I mean, I'm sure what, there's agreements, we're helping other countries. <laughs> right. What To me, I just don't understand. Yeah, to be honest, you're delving into a realm that I don't really know much about. Okay. That's, that's more of our enforcement folks, uh-huh. um, which is a world I didn't grow up in. Okay, We're doing more of the patrolling and the end game happens down the, on the surface at the ship boat level to where I, have, I, I haven't delved into that. All right. I, I can't give you a good answer, to be right. honest with you. What about like even like fisheries patrols? I mean, some of that's out in the open ocean, but I presume there's international law. And- yeah, I mean, so you've got the U.S. exclusive economic zone mm-hmm. um, that goes out miles and miles right. going off of uh, Cape Cod. We used to fly the Falcon off 150 miles and patrol closed fishing areas. Okay. The United States reach reaches out that far. Somehow or another. Well, it's like you said, it's the EEZ and not the, what, is and the different air defense zones. Right, right. Things, so. International waters is, what, 12 miles or something like that? It can be more depending on the boundaries around yeah. little spits of land and things. And then in some cases, as I understand, I mean, we can use lethal force. I've seen a program of snipers in helicopters mm-hmm. shooting out, mostly trying to shoot the engines, as I understand it. But you guys are armed, right? Yeah, so we, uh, Coast Guard's been doing this for a while now, but uh, we do arm our helicopters. Mm-hmm. Um, we do send them on the back of uh, ships. They may need to use force to uh, get get folks to stop so we can, you know, prosecute cases. Right. And Is it cruise-serve type weapons, or does the helicopter itself have, like, rockets or missiles or anything? So the helicopter doesn't carry any... It's more of just a gun that, you know, we have right. a person pointing in the back. Inside. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so cruise-serve yeah. weapons. All right. And obviously, they're pretty adept at that, from what I've seen. I mean, the helicopter's moving, the ship's moving, and yeah, I mean, it takes some special folks to sit there in the back of a helicopter Mm -hmm. and try to shoot moving targets and do, you know, what they're trained to do. Yeah, I just can't imagine that. It's hard enough for me to try to hit a clay pigeon when I'm standing still. Exactly. uh, And these guys are using a a single projectile, not a not a shotgun. And then, um, as far as when it comes time, like around here, as I recall, I used to be a uh, staff guy over at Third Fleet, they would talk about, I think we used to call it green flash, right? So if we saw being so close to our southern neighbor, any vessels sneaking up in the middle of the night that weren't talking to the appropriate agencies, we would help each other out. So I think day in, day out, it's safe to assume that military, <clears throat> specifically Navy in my example, and Coast Guard are helping each other out. So interoperability-wise, I'm guessing we can talk on the same frequencies. We've got the same data link networks we can share. I mean, it sounds to me like the agencies work pretty well together. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, very fair assumption. We couldn't do our job without the help of everybody else doing their job. Yeah. So uh, a lot of our DHS partners, Customs Border Protection, ICE, Border Patrol, and and even the local, you know, Harbor Police, San Diego Police, Mm -hmm. you know, we're all working together for the greater cause of, you know, what, what we're doing the job for. Okay. 
Now, Rayman, I didn't tell you I was going to ask this one. So on our <laughs> aircraft series, which we've kind of covered all your aircraft at once, we always have a segment that says, where would there be some notoriety for the aircraft? So the F-14 Top Gun, everyone knows that one. <laughs> for the Coast Guard, I'm thinking there was a certain Kevin Costner movie some time ago. Do you, do you guys embrace that? Like the Air Force doesn't really like to accept responsibility for Iron Eagle for some reason. <laughs> How do you guys feel about Guardian? We like the Guardian, especially okay. our rescue swimmers. They love it. Yeah. It's always been a challenge to get a movie, a TV series, or whatever to really accurately re- reflect you know, how the real Coast Guard is. So we watch that movie and, you know, we pick out bits and pieces sure. of, you know, oh, that's not real and that uh, we yeah, don't do it but that way. Dan, but... On this show, I've said before, and I, I'm curious if you're correct, uh, if you would agree with me rather, do you really want the viewers to see the real world? I mean, some of it can be insanely boring. Some of it can be insanely boring, <laughs> but there have been TV series out there that have really been a great, accurate reflection mm-hmm. of what we do on a day in and day out basis. I don't know if I can mention them on the air here. The Weather Channel did uh, Coast Guard Alaska. Okay. I would say that is the most realistic Coast Guard shows I've seen. All right. But then you've got the other ones, uh, you know, The Guardian. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen it, by the way. Is it worth seeing? The Guardian? Oh, yeah. it's a great movie. I, I haven't seen it. I yeah, they why. showed it on the uh, Midway this uh, oh, summer, and there were 700-plus people there that watched it. <laughs> Good movie. Gives yeah. you a sense of, you know, Compelling. what the Coast Guard is. Uh-huh. But yeah, again, there's a whole you know range of different shows. Sure, you know we've got the Coast Guard on Baywatch, or you know how realistic <laughs> is that? Yeah. Um, well, and of course, you know, whenever something happens, you guys are usually on the scene. I mean, right. just off the coast of Catalina, what, a month ago, a ship caught fire with sailor, sorry, yes. divers on it yep. in the middle of the night and something like 30 people perished. Mm-hmm. I have to assume you guys were all over that. We were there. We had uh, helicopters in the air and mm-hmm. uh, surface assets, uh, ships and boats right. um, in the water looking for, you know, any survivors. Sure. So, And if a foreign vessel comes up and is in distress. I mean, you guys are there too, right? So it's not just America. Yeah, we're there to help out whoever's offshore that needs help. Yeah. We'll ask the questions later, but yeah. we're always looking to, you know, save life and property as sure. best we can. On that note, again, for the listener, because I already know this, <clears throat> if I'm an idiot and go out on my kayak with two quarts of water and five fishing poles and I'm 10 miles offshore and I'm going fishing and I lose my oars or something and you come save my butt, and my wife, of course, is thankful, or maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, um, but do I owe you something? I mean, is this part of my taxes? I mean, is there a bill? <laughs> like, if I get an ambulance ride for something, a car crash, sometimes there's a bill. Do you guys come after me later and say, right. well, you were, whether I was an idiot or not, do I owe the Coast Guard No. Something? We do this with the taxpayers' dollars, and we don't charge the folks we rescue for anything. Really? You know, it's just, I, at least for me, at the risk of being sappy, it's just wonderful to know. I don't have a kayak. I don't go out in the ocean seven miles. Although I did hear about a guy who went out there and caught like <laughs> a gigantic tuna. And I thought it was pretty cool, but gutsy. But that's awesome because, right, we sit and not to go too far off on a tangent, but we, we moan about our taxes. But when you think about it, what we provide, we as a country, to our folks. I mean, not everybody uses the Coast Guard. Certainly right. the people in the middle of Kansas maybe don't. Yeah. But maybe they're using other taxpayer dollar type things that I don't being here in San Diego. And so I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I tell you, that's that's one of the reasons I joined the Coast Guard and a lot of reasons people join and mm-hmm. um, really enjoy, like, again, what we do and what we mean and, yeah. you know, what we stand for. 
Well, and on that note, right, a person can join the Coast Guard, have a 20-year career either as an enlisted or an officer, and retire with what? Similar perks to military as far as same perks, compensation? And... Same exact perks okay. that uh, the DOD folks get. And base privileges, even at military? And base privileges, everything. Exchanges. We all carry the same yep. ID card, yep. which is, again, it's a DOD ID card, medical insurance. It's all yep. the same. Everybody gets the same insurance. Well, in in a lot of ways, I mean, you and I just met, frankly, before coming in here, but I feel like I've known you a long time because pilots are the same, as I've said on this show, Yeah, no matter what (laughs) uniform they wear, what flag in a lot of cases. And so, yeah, it sounds like uh, we could have uh, known each other from the beginning. So, Dan, what else is there about Coast Guard aviation I haven't asked you or that the listener needs to know? I could tell you a little bit about the kind of different career tracks for Coast Guard aviators or? Yeah, that sounds fun. So Coast Guard aviation kind of has three career tracks for folks to take, to specialize in. All right. One of them obviously is the operations track where you're you're a line pilot, you're staying in duty, and eventually the more senior you get, you're going to be operations officer where you're kind of directing the response efforts. But still flying. But still flying. Sure. Okay. The second one is the engineering track. That's what you took. And that's the track that I took. All right. So I call myself an aviation engineer. What does that really mean in the Coast Guard? I'm an expert in the aircraft. I'm an expert in uh, the aircraft systems, but I also manage the mechanics and folks who work on those aircraft on a day in and day out basis and make sure their lives are well taken care of. All right. So I, I like to say, yeah, I'm an engineer, but I'm really a personnel manager Okay. Um, as an engineer. And then the third track is probably our smallest, which is a safety track where you end up being safety officers. That's kind of what the Coast Guard calls our TRI-P, operations, engineering, and safety. Okay. Um, so those are kind of the three tracks you can take. And then eventually, once you're out of those tracks, you try and be an XO or a CEO right. of a unit somewhere. So if you were interested in just accruing flight hours and being out and rescuing or doing whatever, you'd want to go that first one you just discussed. Operations. Operations, yep. Right, right. If you wanted to someday be an admiral, and I got to think there's not, it's hard enough in the other services, but in the Coast Guard, I'm sure it's pretty tough. Is there one that's better suited for uh, longevity? Not or, necessarily. Yeah. I'm a little biased because I was an engineer and I like to say, you know, engineers have all the people, money, and assets. Okay. So you, your evaluations are easy to write. But uh, I would say there's been a lot of aviation engineers who have been very, very successful. Okay. And uh, matter of fact, the Coast Guard's number two guy right now, um, our uh, vice commandant, is an aviation engineer. You can make all tracks work, but uh, me personally, I like the engineering track because <laughs> well, you get, you get you to take take care of folks who yeah. work on your aircraft. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, of course, the safety seems specialized. But if you were to leave the Coast Guard with that background, I would have to think the FAA or someone similar would be more than happy to offer uh, you a job. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Now, do you guys have offices in the Pentagon or something? I mean, do you have a headquarters? I so Coast Guard headquarters is not in the Pentagon. It's actually uh, set off by itself. <laughs> it moved probably about five years ago. It used to be in downtown D.C. at a place called Buzzards Point, And we had right. a couple buildings. It moved to a place called St. Elizabeth's, which is a uh, campus of an old mental hospital. <laughs> How appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> so it's over by Bowling Air Force Base right. uh, on the southeast side of the city. We were lucky they built us a brand new Coast Guard headquarters building nice. that I got to work at for a couple of years. The idea was the whole campus was going to be a big Department of Homeland Security campus. So all other components were going to move over there slowly but surely. Some of them were going to get new buildings. Others were just going to rehab the current um, buildings that were, were there. Mm-hmm. 
So I haven't been back to D.C. in about six years, so I don't don't know where they are with the rest of the project. Right. But Coast Guard headquarters is fully up and running in the new location. Is an assignment there to be avoided like the Pentagon is, or do people actually uh, uh, like it okay? Depends on who you talk to. I <laughs> I didn't necessarily want to go, but being having been there, I, I learned a lot of yeah. how things work at the you know the upper echelon of the Coast Guard and how the policy writers sure. work and. So definitely a good career move to do a tour there Okay, just for the education piece, sure. but uh, also a lot of networking. Uh-huh. Then, you know, you also have folks who've been successful who'd never went to headquarters. Okay. But, um, well, depends on the person, but. Right, right. And that's a great segue into our couple closing questions, which is what's the future hold for you? You're going to keep playing the game? I mean, you're a commander, so you've been right. at this, uh, actually you said 98, so 21 years? 21 years, wow. almost 22. So I actually got picked up for captain. Oh, congratulations. So I should be sir. making captain next uh, <laughs> summer. All right. And uh, the family and I are waiting patiently to find out if we have to move from San Diego or not. I've essentially promoted myself out of the job I'm in. So we, we may be moving, uh, looking at a staff tour somewhere at one of our district or area or even headquarters uh, mm. locations. When you go to a job like that, can you still dip your toe in some flying once in a while if there are assets nearby, or is that at, that uh, point? at the uh, 06 level? Not really. Okay. No. So, time no. So up. the opportunities to fly at the 06 level are commanding a unit. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't screen for command, so well, that's not the in the feeling. cards now. But I'm going <laughs> to keep trying. It's still an option, possibly. Oh, it is. I, right. can, I can try and screen for command again a couple years in, okay. into the next job. All right. Well, golly, thanks for your 22 almost years of service. How many flight oh, hours pleasure. now? Oh, boy. I'd, I'd have to pull out the... Uh, oh, come on. It's not right uh, on the top of your head. It's not right <laughs> off the top of my head. I, yeah. I, here in San Diego, I only fly about once every two or three weeks. So no, I'm not accruing a whole lot now. Right. I, I think I have about 3,800 flight hours. Well, that's pretty good. Um, which is more than a lot of folks. Yeah. A lot of those probably came in several hour chunks at a time, yes. right? It's not yes. like our guest who flew the MiG-29 who said that his flights were 20 some odd minutes at right, a time. So right. that's great. And uh, gosh, I, I hope you continue to enjoy the flying while you can. I mean, if it's a fleeting opportunity, then you might as well soak it up. And then around here, I mean, when, when I see the yellow is one of them, like I said, and then the other Coast Guard helicopters buzzing around, are you guys doing training or are you actually out there on patrol? I mean, if if there's a distress signal coming in, are you guys sure on the we're- spot? We're out on patrol every time we're flying. Okay. So even though the uh, primary mission may be a training flight, sure, we are at the beck and call ready to go respond to uh, whatever we need. So you've got a rescue swimmer, an air crewman of some sort? Uh, y- y- yes and no. So sometimes okay. the crew complement isn't necessarily ah. full. Sometimes we'll fly with just a basic air crewman in the back, which means we could go out and search for something. Right. But we wouldn't be able to pick anything up, but we could certainly direct, a, you know, a good Samaritan to come help, or we okay. could direct one of our Coast Guard assets. So, you know, at, at any time we can divert whatever helicopter to do what it can. You know, ideally it has a full crew on board so they can do everything. Sure. Do you guys maintain an alert status here in San Diego? We do. So we have an alert crew on uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I assume that's true for other stations. Every air station does. How alert are you? In other words, in the F-18, I had an alert seven where I was literally <laughs> sitting in the airplane or all the way to alert 60 where I was just somewhere in the aircraft carrier, you know, ready to go sure. in an hour kind of thing. What, what so the Coast Guard's goal is to get airborne in 30 minutes. Okay. So yes, at night our, our air crews get to go to bed. But on the station. But on the station, yeah, correct. Okay. So alarm so they goes get off. A phone, they get a phone call. They right. could wake up from a dead sleep at 2 o'clock in the morning and have to get up and go, right. 
fly 250 miles offshore. Right. So it's a risky business we're in. Yeah. But well, uh, we're trained to do it. For sure. So, But so is being at sea. And uh, you're also responding to aircraft that go down or whatever else. So yes. you guys are there. Well, gosh, Dan, this has been really enlightening for me. I did not know very much, as you can tell, sure. about the Coast Guard, specifically I, aviation. I would like uh, to point out one, one, one thing that's yeah. a little different than the other services. So our fixers in the Coast Guard are flyers as well. Fixers and flyers. So, so in other words... So, so we don't have separate groups of fixers and separate groups of flyers. Hmm. So uh, just a shout out to our you know aviation mechanics uh, who fix those aircraft and then go flying on them. Um, okay. they, they're busy folks. So in other words, your air crewmen might also be like your crew chiefs or plane captains. Is that what you mean? Yes. Or, yeah. So, then... so the Coast Guard doesn't really use that terminology. terminology. Okay. You know, you know our, our air crew and our uh, maintenance technicians work on any aircraft. Okay. They're also that flight mechanic that's in the back that's flying with you on a darkest stormy night. Right. Sending people up and down on a, on a hoist. So yeah. that makes us up front comfortable knowing that that guy's back there flying with me and he's also the one who works on that aircraft that is yeah well there you go because it's his rear end too if something exactly goes wrong <laughs> yeah his or her wow so. that's true absolutely dan this has been really enlightening thanks so very much before we let you go you've yes. listened to the show you know the deal you enlightened me on rain man uh when you were flying the falcon <laughs> so did you just like have exquisite memory of what you were reading or what How did someone <laughs> come up with that <laughs> So when I was learning to fly the Falcon, the instructor pilots I flew with said I used to talk to myself ah. when I was flying pattern flights. I guess Rain Man just talked to himself kind of in, he did. in, a, in mm-hmm. a voice. So I, I would talk to myself and didn't realize I was on, realize I was on hot mic and ah. they heard me talking to myself. So I used to talk to myself in the F-18. Mostly it was just because, I don't know, I'm not a physiologist or whatever, but I think there's something about your mouth and your mm-hmm. ear hearing and saying and your brain helps right. you remember things. That's probably why you did it, right? Yeah, okay, absolutely. And, I, and I'll, I still do it to this day. Yeah, all right. I just well. know when hot mic is on or not. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, means the microphone is transmitting you to the other people in the airplane uh, versus you just talking silently to yourself. Right. Okay, so we have to sometimes explain different things. I'm sure everybody knew that. Rayman, this has been a lot of fun. Any parting shots for us? No, I, I just appreciate you letting me highlight the Coast Guard. I mean, it's been a wonderful career for me. I, I love the Coast Guard. I love the folks in the Coast Guard. And I really, really appreciate the opportunity to highlight uh, what we do on a day-in and day-out basis. And um, you know, thank you for giving me this opportunity. Well, you're welcome. I mean, you guys do an important job, and it sounds like you do it well. So it's my pleasure to highlight what you guys are out there doing and probably a lot of times not getting the thanks for it. So uh, if we can do our small part, we, we will here. And Man, you're just across the bay. Maybe I need to come over and visit and check some of this stuff out. Sure thing. Absolutely. All right. Invite's we'll open. Thanks, Dan. Bye. All right. Thanks again, Rain Man. That was awesome. I still have not gotten over to see him either at his Coast Guard station there in San Diego or where he lives, which if you're familiar, and I assume you are, with the movie Top Gun, it's where Maverick went and visited Viper, and uh, that is the Coast Guard base housing at the tip of Point Loma, and apparently that's where Rain Man lives, so I need to go check that out before he moves. Now, Rain Man messaged me later saying he checked his logbook and he found he has 3,560 flight hours. He also let me know that the U.S. Coast Guard is made up of 42,000 roughly active duty Coast Guardsmen, 30,000 auxiliarists, 7,500 reservists, and 7,000 civilians. So even though he does count it as the fifth branch of the military, 
it is quite a bit smaller even than the Marine Corps. Now, it sounds like their national security cutter, that ship we were talking about, is a bit smaller than an Arleigh Burke-class naval destroyer. Probably a little closer to a frigate, but we don't have any of those anymore. So compared to the Arleigh Burke, the national security cutter is 418 feet long versus 509 with a 54-foot beam, which is just the width, if you will, compared to the Destroyer 66, and it displaces half as much, and the crew is about half the size of a Destroyer. And finally, it's been a few weeks, gosh, I guess a couple months since we recorded, and since then, Rainman informs me he received orders to Alameda, California, up in the Bay Area, where he will work at Coast Guard Pacific Area. He'll be the office chief for the Command, Control, Communications, Computers, and Information Technology Division. So good on your rain, man. Have a great time up there and keep in touch. And on behalf of all the listeners, thanks again for your time on today's episode. All right. Well, that will just about do it. Let's wrap up with some new strike leads on Patreon. Adam Lane, John Hamilton, Peter Gunnarsson, and Jonathan Wood. And then two new mission commanders, Rian Whites and Cliff Gracie. And Rian and Cliff, Please check your messages on Patreon or your emails. We need to schedule your debrief as well as get your t-shirts off to you. Some of the perks of being the mission commander. Well, the views expressed in this presentation are the personal views of myself and my guests and do not necessarily represent the position of the Departments of Defense or Homeland Security or their components. So thanks for listening. That'll do it for this week. We return to the aircraft series next week and we'll see you then. Take care. You've been listening to the Fighter Pilot Podcast, brought to you by BVR Productions. Got a question for the show? Send an email to questions at fighterpilotpodcast.com or leave a message on our listener line at 877-MACH-101. That's 877-622-4101. Be sure to check out our website at fighterpilotpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. For exclusive Fighter Pilot Podcast content, check out our Patreon page. Please like, follow, and subscribe to the show. And don't forget to share us with your network. Thank you for listening. By the way, Dan, what does Semper Paratus mean? Semper Paratus means always ready. And you guys are always ready. We are always ready. Thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran.